0: Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Gotz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today from the Grave Tales Tasmania book, The Gravedigger of Dead Island.
1: He lived with the 1100 or so deceased residents on the Isle of the Dead. His job? To tend to the dead. But how did convict Mark Jeffrey, who was sent to Port Arthur prison three times for life and should have been buried there, escape that fate? So Chris, what is the Isle of the Dead?
0: Well, the Isle of the Dead is the place where people who had been in Port Arthur, that terrible, terrible place in Tasmania, the penal colony, Mm. that's where they went when they died. They were taken and buried on Dead Island, hence the name. Mm. Mark Jeffrey ended up being the custodian, if you like, of Dead Island. We don't know exactly a lot about his time there, but we do know from other sources just what it would have been like for him and what he was doing there.
1: It's a little island that you can actually see when you're visiting Port Arthur, yeah. can't you? And they do ferry trips out there.
0: It's about a kilometre off the shore.
1: Yeah, you can't wander around by yourself, but no. oh, we went around with a tour guide, so you can wander around the graves. But there's a hierarchy, I think, from memory for the graves, isn't there?
0: Yes, and the location of where people are on the island indicates their social status, if you like. The free people lie in the northwest corner where there are still some headstones to be seen. These resting places range from prison officials to those of invalids, paupers and lunatics. There are seamen and soldiers and their families. Convicts, on the other hand, the other end of the scale, are on the island's lower southern end where the headstones at that time were largely banned. Mm-hmm. And that's where you'd expect that Mark Jeffrey would have ended up as well. In fact, he did have his own grave, which was dug, and he tended very, very carefully, amazing. Uh, patting down the edges on a couple of times a day basis uh, to keep the worms out. Wow. It never got used, is the curiosity about it.
1: So his job, he was on that island alone as part of his prison sentence, whether he chose that job or was given it, to tend to the dead. So if somebody died, he'd dig that grave, they'd bring him over, and then he lived on that island at night by himself with the dead. Yes. Wow, freaky, isn't it?
0: And tended to uh, whatever needed tending to at the time. Mm. But we do know from looking at the only other person who tended to the dead on Dead Island? Something of what life was like for Mark Jeffrey.
1: So, who was the other man tending the graves? He was before Mark Jeffrey, was he?
0: Yes, he was, and his name was John Barron, convicted twice for receiving stolen goods and then sent from Limerick in Ireland to Port Arthur. He managed that lonely task for more than 10 years until he was pardoned in 1874. Then it was Mark Jeffrey's turn. The authorities at Port Arthur had become sick and tired of his behaviour especially as it related to food, Mm. he could never get enough. And if he knew it was there and he couldn't get his hands on it, then he became extremely violent.
1: Well, he was a big guy. He was. A a
0: big fellow. In fact, when he and his brother first ran away from home back in England Mm. before they got into enough strife to get themselves transported, he used to keep body and soul together, if you like, by fighting in the ring at sideshows and at um, fairs. Mm. At 15 years of age, he was over six foot and weighed 95 kilos. So he was a big, strong man.
1: Mm. So, before we hear how Mark ended up there, life on that island, so the carer of the dead, yep. would live there, sleep there alone. Did they have a little hut? How did they get their food?
0: Yes, he did. He lived in a, a little hut. And interestingly, you know, there was a bloke who was travelling the world, uh, English novelist. In the early 1870s, he toured Australia and New Zealand on a writing mission that was directly aimed at the traveller of the day. In other words, this guy was travelling the world saying, see this, see this, don't Mm. go there, do that, as much Mm. as travel agents do these days.
1: Lonely planet of the 19th century.
0: Yeah. Surprisingly, I suppose, what Treloep wrote wasn't a story of terror or fear, but that Barron had enjoyed many freedoms not readily available at Port Arthur. He was very much the monarch, if you like, of all he surveyed.
1: So Baron being the first graveyard tender.
0: Yeah. Mm. Uh, He could go to bed when he pleased. He could get up (laughs) when he pleased. He might bathe or catch a fish or cultivate his flower garden. All of that he did for 10 years, digging graves in absolute solitude, really.
1: But that sounds quite nice for a prison sentence until... The sun sets.
0: That's right. And then (laughs) strange things could possibly happen. In fact, Mark Jeffrey reported that one night in his dwelling hut, the small place in which he lived on the island, when the devil or his satanic majesty, as he was referred to by Mark Jeffrey, appeared and had a conversation with him. Mm. Uh, There's no record of what the conversation was about. But Mark said he was so disturbed by it that he requested immediate removal from the island.
1: Wow.
0: So something spooked him. Yeah,
1: well, you would be a bit spooked at night. Well, it's lovely an idyllic of a daytime and you're not doing hard labour over at the prison camp that's the price you pay.
0: Yeah absolutely.
1: So he had his grave dug and ready to go but he never was buried there.
0: No because he left the island before that and was back at Port Arthur and then went from there into Hobart.
1: Begs the question then how did he end up being at Port Arthur in the first place? You said he was a young man Mm -hmm. who had a bit of a disrupted childhood.
0: Yeah, he did. And in fact, he, he was born in Wood Woodditton near Newmarket in Suffolk in 1825. The son of a bloke who was a gardener, a quite a successful one who rented land from local people, including the local vicar and the local medico, to grow food, which he sold. And that's what kept the Geoffrey family fed. Mm. But his father had the insufferable habit of beating Mark and his other son, Luke, when he was drunk. And when in 1840, a doctor who they rented some of the land from suddenly died. They saw it as a good opportunity to get out. Mm. So Luke, who was 12, and Mark, who was 15, bolted and got into this life of the uh, boxing tents.
1: Whatever it took to survive, basically. Yeah, exactly. A bit of right. theft in the streets.
0: Well, uh, that's the interesting part about this, and that one of the people they ran into along the way was a fellow by the name of Hart who was a bit of a rogue and suggested to the two boys that there was an an easier way of making a quid than Mm -hmm. being belted around the head by half drunk boxers (laughs) or people who thought they could box. (laughs) This guy Hart said, look, you know, burglary's the way to go. We know where we can find good pickings and we know that there's a small chance of us getting caught. So they got into the... Life uh, of crime. Yeah. Exactly mm. right. As soon as that happened, they got caught. They got nicked. They got nicked, absolutely. Mm. And in rapid succession, found themselves in court. And then in the old Millgate prison, they were held until such time as they were deported, 15 years. Sent to Tasmania, or Van Diemen's land.
1: And anyone knows who's visited Port Arthur, oh, it's a cold, hard place. It's beautiful. But, I mean, if you were a prisoner there in those days, inhospitable, you know, cold, bitter place.
0: And it was around that time that Mark's uh, focus became about food. He could yeah. just never get enough. And we yeah. mentioned what happened. When he couldn't get enough, yeah. he became extremely violent. And he was so aggressive that the guy, John Hart, who had got them into the burglary game, dobbed them in. When they got into court... They had all the details of the 15 burglaries that they'd done laid out before them, oh. courtesy of Mr. Hart. So when Mark Jeffrey ran into John Hart in Milgo prison while they were waiting to be transported, mm. he verbally attacked him with such anger mm. that he, two days later he died. Wow. And Mark was charged with manslaughter.
1: Wow. How? No. When he hasn't laid a hand on him?
0: Frightened him to death.
1: Oh no! And Did it that stick?
0: No, it oh. didn't. It was dropped after Mark argued that Hart had brought about his own death through his own actions because
1: mm, he was a rotter. But tell you what, if that was a sentence, how many people could you go to jail for? You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. So he was an extremely angry man underneath yeah. all this.
1: But when you look at his childhood. He's a young guy who's been beaten all his life by an angry father. There's the role model. He's probably had no tenderness shown to him. Let's know how he knows to survive.
0: Yeah, and again, when he was in Millbank Prison, right at the end of it, he caught cholera. And so he was confined. Mm. And while that happened, his brother Luke was transported without him. So he lost his only real mate and Mm. brother Mm. and never saw him again.
1: Oh, that's terrible.
0: All we know about him is that sometime when he was about 55, he shot himself. So we don't know anything more He's about... Luke did, the brother. Yeah, the yeah. brother. Mm. He was sent to Western Australia. Mm. And as for Mark, I mean, he got over that the cholera, but it left him weak. Mm. Not a good way to be. Mm. From there, he was sent to a hulk on the Thames called the Warrior...
1: that's a prison hulk, like a ship that just is stationary. Yeah, and
0: that's that's what the British did when they had more prisoners than they could put in their prisons. Mm. Before they started sending them overseas, they put them, well, and even after they did start sending them overseas, they first of all put them on these hulks on rivers, terrible places, and they sent them out to work because the government was really aware of how much it was costing Mm. to keep so many prisoners. So they were sent out to work, and of course, you know, they weren't fed the greatest food. In Mm. fact, they were given awful fare. Whatever it was, there wasn't much of it anyway, And of course, that made life worse for him. He became so depressed at one stage that he wrote a letter to the government asking if it would execute him. That's the state of mind that he was in. It refused.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good thing.
0: But anyway, he ended up on the Eliza, headed for Norfolk Island. Again, a terrible, terrible place to go. A place that Marcus Clarke, for the term of his natural life, described as hell in paradise. Mm. So, Norfolk Island, a place that the New South Wales Governor Ralph Darling said that every man should be worked in irons, that the example may deter others from the commission of crime. Mm. There was, at one stage, a mutiny of a number of prisoners on Norfolk Island.
1: It's a bit difficult having a mutiny there because there's nowhere to go, really, is there?
0: Yeah, I don't know what you do. I suppose you try and steal a boat uh, and get away that way. There were 40-odd of them executed, the the mutineers. They sent the Vicar General of Sydney, Father William Ullathorne, to Norfolk Island to comfort some of the mutineers who were due for execution. He was given the task of telling each of the mutineers... Who would hang and who would be reprieved? He said, It was the most heart-rending scene that I've ever witnessed. Each man who heard his reprieve wept bitterly. And each man who heard of his condemnation to death went down on his knees with dry eyes And thank God.
1: Oh, wow. Well, it just goes to show what a horrendous place it must have been.
0: Yeah, so that's where Mark found himself, on Norfolk Island, where he didn't do too badly. When he first arrived, he was employed as a gardener. Did well until one day the issue of food rose its head again. In reality, it had probably never gone away. But in this particular event, the cook where Mark was staying refused him extra food, at which point Mark attacked the cook and left him unconscious. Mm. So again, this was a problem. Remarkably, his next role... Was that of a guess policeman?
1: Oh, there's a fit. <laughs> <laughs> what the?
0: By the commandant of the island who also warned Mark that his temper would get him into serious trouble.
1: Like He already has. He's <laughs> on Norfolk but thanks for the warning. I, th- I
0: think it's gone.
1: <laughs> but why was he appointed the constable or the sub-constable, as it was called in the first place?
0: Well, I guess it was because uh, they thought it would calm him down if he got extra food. In fact, he wrote in his book that they said to him, you'll get wheaten rations instead of corn cracker and plenty of tea and sugar instead of hominy, which is a, a dried corn awful sounding stuff. Mm. So he consented to the arrangement and mm. the commandant permitted the appointment to be made. A suit of clothes was procured for him and he was placed on duty in the lumber yard with another constable.
1: Mm. And then he blew it.
0: He did. He was sacked after being accused of sleeping mm. on the job. <laughs>
1: Mark, and Mark,
0: uh, Mark. his demotion saw him uh, in, put into the stables to look after the horse's and again, uh, he would have the daily struggle to get enough to eat. Oh, oh,
1: terrible story. So what happens? When does he leave Norfolk?
0: When transportation from Britain to uh, Van Diemen's Land ceased in 1853, replaced by penal servitude back in Great Britain, there was little need for a penal settlement on Norfolk Island. So oh. they, the ones that were there were taken back to uh, Tassie. To back Port Arthur? To, to Port Arthur, yeah. Oh, right. And again... You know, he fell on good luck. They put him in charge of improving the Port Arthur chaplain's agricultural efforts by applying his horticultural skills working in his garden. He raised the level of the potato patch, mm. for which the harvest was sold to uh, miners on the Victorian goldfields. Mm. And the chaplain, being extremely grateful for uh, the rise in sale prices and money for him, gave Mark 10% of his profits. And no prizes for guessing where Mark spent the money. Ah, uh, uh, Let's just say he didn't go hungry on that job. Oh,
1: good on him. But then he gets his brakes and he blows it.
0: So he did his time on Isle of the Dead amongst the graves that were there and with his demons. But he laboured under the weight of his overwhelming view that his life had been one of cruelty. As he wrote, one sentence sums up my life. I've lived long, I have suffered long.
1: Yeah, I agree with that too. I think he did have a bit of a tough life. He had a tough childhood, a tough life. But he was a character. He
0: had a bit of cheek about him because he wrote a book, as we mentioned earlier on, and the title of it we didn't mention, but I think it's a kind of a shot at everybody. His autobiography is modestly titled mm-hmm. A Burglar's Life or The Stirring Adventures of the Great English Burglar Mark Jeffrey. A thrilling history of the dark days of convictism in Australia.
1: Oh, and I bet Mark's the hero of the story. <laughs> I remember seeing in one of his accounts where he said he playfully slapped a police officer. <laughs> yes, one does. <laughs> and um, wondered
0: why he got sent to Port Arthur yeah, again.
1: Exactly. But it's a great title. suppose you thought, well, if I'm going to leave this as my mark on the world, people best know I'm the great English burglar.
0: Yep, that's him.
1: So what happened to him? When did Mark die?
0: Mark died in 1894 at age 68. But ironically, after all those uh, years of grave preparation that we talked about earlier, where he would so carefully uh, look after the grave that was to be his at the southern end Mm -hmm. of Dead Island, there was some confusion about where he was buried. As he died in Launceston, it was believed that he was buried in that area. However, the Southern Cemetery's records uh, show he was interred in Hobart's Cornelian Bay Cemetery in the Paupers' A section grave
1: Number 516. Mm. And we went to that area. It's a beautiful area. Yeah. Cornelius Bay is amazing. Really hard to find stuff though. There's no sort of rose or riles clearly marked, but it's a glorious cemetery. But that area there, it's, it's like a little undulating hill. Of course, there's a lot of bodies buried in it. Yep. And there's just this lovely memorial stone, which marks that grave in memory of all those that lie in the pauper Cemetery.
0: But it is good to have the book because it gives us a real feeling for what life was like at Port Arthur in those days and what it was like for the people who ended up there, transported from the United Kingdom. Invaluable yeah. history for us. As he once said, such is the life of a burglar who got caught.
1: If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the follow us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available on paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook. Music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well.